All right, uh, welcome to the inaugural episode of uh, Steeler Thoughts and Chief Feelings. I guess the and is not really in there. Um, this is, uh, we're gonna see how this goes. Uh, my name is Chris Dorst. I'm a philosophy professor at the University of Florida uh, and I'm a lifelong Steeler fan, which is the source for the Steeler Thoughts in our title. And my co-host, I'm Jay Nair. I am a psychiatrist at New York University, and I am a lifelong Steeler. I'm a lifelong Chiefs fan, <laughs> not a Steelers fan, and that's the source of the Chief Feelings part of this, of our title. Um, so, how we kind of want our episodes to run? I think we'll do a little bit of a recap of the games of the week. We'll talk about the current state of the Steelers and the current state of the Chiefs. And then run down kind of th general discussion about the NFL as a whole, kind of bounce questions off each other about how things are going in the NFL. Um, so to start today, I guess we can talk about the divisional round. I know, Chris, like a lot of people will say they find the divisional round the most exciting round of football. Is that, do you share that opinion? What do you think about like the best week of football in the year? I mean, I feel like divisional, but usually like the championship round is, is where I feel like you get, because, you know, sometimes it's just one conference is better than the other one. Uh, and so you get like the, the cream of the crop playing each other in the championship round usually. And I feel like this year we might have that again. So, um, yeah, uh, well, I, you know, divisional is still good, though. Yeah, I feel like the the only thing with the divisional is you get the four games instead of the two. But yeah, I agree with you. I think like having the Super Bowl on the line is just a different level. And you still get two games of football. So I like the championship round too. Um, yeah. So, I so what's happened this week? <laughs> yeah, if we start with the Ravens-Texans. I, it, was, it was interesting for a half. I feel like... Uh, <laughs> It, you know, we got a punt return from the Texans that made it an interesting game, but I, I don't think that many people are that surprised by how this one went. I feel like the the Ravens were definitely the better team. I think C.J. Stroud was awesome as usual, but he was overmatched. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that was, I mean, the Ravens have beaten how many how many good teams, how many winning record teams by like more than two touchdowns this year. It's, it's incredible. Uh, but again, I guess not a surprise to see them do that again. Yeah. I, I find CJ Stroud really interesting to watch because he, he reminds me a little bit of 2018 Mahomes in the sense that like there's that youthful fearlessness still like Mahomes used to have where it's just like you're going to try any throw, like it doesn't matter. Like you haven't had the bad experiences yet, so you're willing to just chuck it. Yeah, there's some of those throws that he'll make where it's just like he's – like lunging forward off one foot and just launching it like 40 yards down the sideline. It's just, you know, like no one tries that when they've been in the league for 10 years or something. Right? Uh, it's cool and I to feel see. like too, like he, he's at that point because Mahomes is definitely there too, where like def defenses don't think you'll try it. So they're like you get away with it. I feel like the only quarterback that has managed to continue that through his career is Josh Allen. For some reason, Josh Allen will still make throws that the defense isn't expecting, and like because he can throw it so far. I, I think that's right. I feel like the 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 remark about 
defense is not expecting you to do it is interesting. I remember when the Steelers played the Chiefs and I think it was 2018 and we watched that together and uh, you know our defense I remember after the game like it was just it was a massacre. I think Mahomes threw six touchdowns or something like that um, uh, and our defense after the game was saying like we you know we felt prepared we thought you know we what could he do against this and then they, he just did all these things that they didn't expect essentially made throws that they didn't expect him to make. That's that's what can happen. That's what can happen when you have such a gifted athlete. I think. Yeah, and then, so I I always think it'll be interesting now with C.J. Stroud. Once he gets like a year or two, they start giving him the Mahomes treatment. I wonder how he'll adjust and whether he'll be able to maintain that level of productivity. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those. That's one of those themes that like you want to see how good are they in year two or year three once people have enough tape on them to sort of figure out what they like to do. Um, and from the Ravens side, I mean, I personally, my view is that I'm terrified of their run game. It looks really good, and the Chiefs have to play them next week, and we can't stop the run. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, I'll, maybe I'll say more about this later in our in our you know league topics section. But uh, I mean, watching Lamar Jackson is just. It's very fun. Uh, hard to admit that as a Steelers fan, he's, but he's just so fluid and so like, he just makes things look so easy that as a Steelers fan, I'm not used to things looking that easy. So, <laughs> at least not recently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then I guess moving on to Packers and Niners, a uh, couple thoughts I had about that. First of all, I do feel like if you're a 49ers fan, you have to be a little worried about Brock Purdy in the rain. Like, especially, like, it's never a good sign when, like, a quarterback's like, oh, I tried the glove, and then I didn't like the glove. I took my glove off, and it didn't feel right. And it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like that would really worry me, especially, like, I'm not sure what the forecast is this coming week, but uh, if there's any hint of rain, I would be worried if I was a 49ers fan. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, he's definitely sort of dropped off a bit from, from the high he was running at the beginning of this year, right? Um Certainly more concerns you can have about him now. Um, on the other hand, I don't know what to feel as a Packers fan right now. I mean, you're excited that Jordan Love can take you this far, right? Uh, and all that he can do, and yet that's a that's an opportunity that probably feels wasted, right? Yeah, that, and for all the you know their early red zone trips, they only got I think three points from or six points from three red zone trips, if I remember correctly, to start. I don't know. And that could be wrong, but I doubt anyone's listening, so they won't fact check me. But uh, the other thing, though, is the I felt like the pass that Love made at the end of the game reminded me so much of Brett Favre. And I know I'm not the first person to say that, but he like it's still only first down. And like, there's still a chance to win this game. There's nothing, and he throws it crossbody, underthrown with three defenders in the area. I was just like, maybe there's something about being the Packers quarterback. I don't know. Yeah, I saw a couple of people put a mashup of of that far throw. I think when he was on the Vikings to end their season, uh, and and then this throw here, it's just uh, it's basically the same throw. Uh, and I don't know. I mean. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's something in Wisconsin there. <laughs> um, something in the water. The the only other kind of thought I had on this game, which was, I don't know, maybe I'm like trying to make too much of a point, but I felt like interestingly, so the, the Packers get the ball up 
four at their own 10 yard line with 937 to go in the game. And if I remember correctly, I think it was their first play was a 54 yard run by Aaron Jones. And I remember at the time even thinking like, I kind of feel like they probably wish he didn't gain that much yardage because like what ended up happening is they kicked a field goal from San Francisco's 23 with 621 to go. They missed the field goal, but they actually gave San Francisco enough time to run like a long drive. If, if they had gained those 54 yards in like five plays, maybe Purdy's not that comfortable driving 12 plays down the field to get the game winning touchdown. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I remember thinking that the game was over at that point, but but probably I was assuming they were going to get some more points from from that drive. Essentially, at that point, it, it yeah, you're right. I think if he, if it go if they get that fifty four yards in a lot slower fashion, it might have been over, right? Yeah, and obviously there's no guarantee that they would get those because after the 54 yard run, they weren't able to move the ball that much after. So, so maybe that was just that. But I remember thinking at the time, not that of course in the moment, no one would try to stop running a 54 yard run, but when he got there, I was like, I, I just wonder if they're gonna wish that he did that, that they, they just took that yardage a little more slowly. Um, but I guess earlier was like, you know, we, we every week have situations where coaches try to waste too much time and end up not scoring and then losing oh, the end that way, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's the way to, I mean, that's the Steelers' way, right? Ensure that the fourth quarter is as stressful as possible. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then for Lions-Bucks, I honestly didn't, I expected something to be like, I expected like a 24-10 Lions game. So I guess ultimately it wasn't that far from that but I was kind of surprised at how much the Bucks were able to move the ball and make this a game for a little while. I, I just went into this game assuming the Lions were going to win comfortably. Mm. Yeah, I didn't watch it that carefully, so I, I don't have a ton of thoughts about it aside from it's cool to see the Lions actually in the championship game now. I mean, they deserve it if anyone does. Yeah, and that could be, I mean, if the Lions go to the Super Bowl, I feel like they will, Detroit Lions fans will take over. Vegas entirely. Yeah, that's a concern. <laughs> uh, and then, do um, we want to talk about Chiefs Bills? Or should we leave that I, for the present state of the Chiefs? Uh, I guess it depends on how many questions you have for me on this game in the present state of the Chiefs. Mm, not a ton. So I. So I mean, we could say a few things about the game. I. I oh yeah, sure. I don't know if you have. You probably have more thoughts about it than I did. One of the thoughts that I was thinking. Of course, I was thinking my thoughts. Uh, Josh Allen at the end, when they get down there, uh, it before they miss the field goal, uh, what, two or three shots, I think, at the end zone? Uh, it's like totally inexplicable. Why, why you would do that? Why you even want to score that quickly at that point? I don't know. I mean, this has probably been commented on. I haven't really been following the discussion about it, but it's just... You know, I think normally, right, normally that's fine. You get to around the 20 and you want to take a shot at the end zone, uh, unless you're the Steelers. Uh, then you never take a shot at the end zone. But, but, you know, at that point in the game, you don't want to leave any time on the clock or you want to leave as little time on the clock as possible. I think you want to drag that out more. I don't, it's just a little inexplicable to me. Yeah, especially, I think a lot especially was made of the throw he had uh I think it was to Shakir on like a, a post route. And, the, you know, everyone was talking about how he had like digs open over the middle on a crosser. 
And the explanation that I saw from a lot of people was like that the post is the first read on that play and he, it was there. It was just that Chris Jones ended up pushing Deion Dawkins right back into his lap. And I think that, that throw was open. I agree with you though. I, I think to me, it's a, even more like it's a play calling thing. Like, why are you calling a shot play there anyway? Like, because I'll tell you, I, I mean, I guess you score a touchdown and maybe you feel good about making the Chiefs score a touchdown. But for all the people that were talking about the missed field goal being like, oh, they, the game would have gone into overtime. I was like, well, if you had told me before that game that with a minute 45, we would have the ball with two timeouts in a tie game with a chance to win it, I would sign up for that immediately. <laughs> so... You know, yeah, I, I, who knows? But like, I, I feel like Tyler Bass making missing the kick just spared the Bills having to watch Mahomes come down and win the game. Yet again, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we've certainly seen that happen in less time uh, <laughs> from the Chiefs' side of things. Um, so, yeah, uh, you think they would but have I, done that differently? I agree with you in that, like. I feel like it's almost like they ran the ball so successfully for so long. And at the end, Josh was like, I got to get a couple of these off. You know, like I got to <laughs> chuck it a couple times. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. And to be fair, for all the people that were saying that, you know, the Bills should have run the ball more in the fourth quarter, they didn't run it that well in the fourth quarter. I think, like, ultimately, like James Cook's final yards per carry, I heard it was like under four, it, which was mind boggling to me. But uh, he, he did have a lot of a couple negative runs in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if you're right, though. This is the element of Josh Allen. That's just I got to get I got to rip one of these. Right. Like, uh, yeah, um, he was his his yards per, per attempt were pretty low in this, like, like unusually low. And, and maybe that was just that was game planning, but you, know, you can only game plan so much, and then he's going to take a shot. Yeah, that, I think that's exactly that's how it felt to me. It's like they they somehow decided that they wanted to play really conservatively, just not to turn the ball over, and they went with the short passing game all day. And finally, like, I mean, Josh has got a Josh, you know. <laughs> so I think at the end, it's just like you got to let a couple fly, and he did throw some good deep balls early in the game that just weren't caught. Oh yeah. Uh, that one to Diggs that everyone was talking about. Um, I think we, you and I talked about this one. I mean, that got a lot of praise, and it was an awesome throw, but it was a perfect throw. I mean, Diggs slowed up a bit and then dropped it, so so he made it look better and then made himself look worse. But yeah. And I do think, too, people underrate, like, for all of the criticism that Justin Reed gets as a pass defender, like, having someone in your hip pocket makes it kind of hard to catch a ball that's coming down from 65 yards, you know? Like, <laughs> even if they don't make a play on the ball, like, he's trying to make a play on the ball, and he's right there. I feel like that increases the degree of difficulty a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I bet that's right. All right, well, um, should we go on to our questions for each other? Yeah, uh, do you want to talk about the Steelers first or the Chiefs? Um... I'm curious. Uh, well, so we're gonna see here. We we sort of outlined what we are planned for each with the with for the for the episode, but we didn't run these questions by each other ahead of time, and so we have no idea if they're on, you know, you know how simple these are or how complex they are. So yeah, I don't know. Let's go. Uh, I'm happy to do the Chiefs first if you want. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, so here's an easy one to start with. Uh, how long do you think Kelsey has left? Um, if they win the Super Bowl, say, what? Uh, do you expect him to retire or keep playing? So I do expect him to keep playing. I think that the impression I get of Kelsey is I feel like football and playing football is a really core part of his identity. As much as people have talked about the fact that he's clearly building toward a career in entertainment afterward, and I think that's all true, but I don't think he's ready to give this up. I think Kelsey's the kind of guy that like, even if he becomes like a 600 yard, five touchdown guy, like I think that's, he'll enjoy doing that. I really think he's going to play until he can't anymore. And maybe that's injury or maybe that's mm. just getting too old. But I could see him having like a Jason Witten like end to his career where he is not dominant anymore, but he's still extremely reliable. So I, I'm definitely not anticipating his, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mentally considering I have like three years of Kelsey left. <laughs> Uh, I know the feeling. Like how many like, how many years of this player do I have left in my life? Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so someone on Twitter was was suggesting maybe the the second touchdown uh, from Mahomes to Kelsey in, in this last game was was designed so that they would have the record for is it most most touchdown passes in the playoffs um, between a is it is it any wide receiver and quarterback or is yeah it any quarterback yeah. and pass catcher yeah yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how to. You you could read into that a lot, right? I mean, they clearly they wanted to score and they scored, so uh, there's that too. <laughs> um, and the um, kind of swing pass to Kelsey at the goal line or inside the five has actually been fairly commonly used. I think, you know, over the past two years, off the top of my head, I can think of two other times we've done it successfully, and a couple we haven't we failed. <laughs> so it's not like an unusual play call for us. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't specifically you. You wouldn't say it was specifically designed to get him a him that touchdown. Yeah. I don't think uh, so. I think it's just a good red zone play. Yeah. Okay. Next question. This is like really a series of questions that well, it can go in different if, different directions. But uh, I think about like Mahomes' career so far. What kinds of changes do you see to his game um, since he started to now? And you you mentioned a little bit earlier, but I'm curious what. What someone who's watched him so closely, what your perspective is on that? I definitely think, yeah, early on, he was willing to try anything. And I'm sure a lot of that was youth. He himself says that he wasn't really reading defenses pre-snap all that well early on in his career. And I think he was just making things work because of his arm talent. He definitely, the biggest thing I would say is, he and it really started last year he does so much more stuff on on time on structure like he last year i thought he did so much of just like hitting the back of his drop and getting the ball out which was not always the case for him for a lot of his career um and then the other thing i think is that he because of that he will have times where he does appear a little tentative this season especially which is very you know, unfamiliar a feeling. I think he just didn't believe what he was seeing as far as where his receivers were going to be. And when things become so much more timing based, I think he just didn't trust. Because, you know, on reviewing, there are a lot of, you know, Chiefs bloggers that review all 22 tape and the clips that some of them send about like, 
look, Sky Moore comes right here. He's right there, and Mahomes just doesn't pull the trigger. And that is so weird for him, you know. So I think there are times that he becomes a little more tentative, but when it really counts, he the, the, the at the Kansas City Sports Network, there's a guy named Matt Lane who uses the phrase throwing with his chest, and I, I just love that. Like, you can tell after a couple plays if Mahomes is throwing with his chest and if he's really feeling it, and, and then you're feeling good. Like, you know, it's going to be all right. Is throwing with his chest, is, is it just meant to be like, a you know, he's like confident in it, or is it is it a kind of like actual throwing motion you can tell when he's more confident? Uh, I think it's just kind of like he's just putting a little more on the ball. Like, because okay. there are times where he, he, it just seems like he's like floating it a little bit or he's not quite. But when he really like powers it in there, I feel like that's when you feel like he's throwing it with his chest. Yeah, it's so interesting. The sorts of like nuances and their mannerisms that you pick up on the more you watch. And I, like, I, I was that way with Ben for a while. Like, you know, just watched this guy play like how many hours of, of football and you could tell like he likes what he's seeing here. He's very confident right now or or not. Right. And that's, that's so interesting that you can do that. Um, uh, OK, so this is like a follow up question to that one. I don't know if we want to count this as another question, but is there anything you'd want him to add to his game? Which is I know a weird question to ask about, like probably the best player at his position. Um, but is there anything that you think he could he could do that would be like just taking it up a level? I don't know that this is because he can't or I think he could do it. And I don't know that he doesn't do it because he doesn't want to as much as maybe he just hasn't had the right receiver type. But he doesn't throw a ton of back shoulder. Uh, he doesn't throw a ton of like down the numbers. Which even someone like Kenny Pickett, you know, when he gets cover zero, sometimes he'll throw it down the numbers on like uh, just like a fly route to George Pickens. Mahomes doesn't do that that much. And I, I think part of it is that he, throughout his career, has always been someone who throws to open receivers. Like he doesn't really, he, he'll throw more over in the middle. He'll throw a guy open or throw to someone who's not tightly covered like making the right read, quote unquote. But sometimes I, I feel like, you know, just trust your arm a little bit. And I, I maybe he doesn't feel like he's got, you know, we don't have a ton of big bodied guys that you think, feel like will fight at the catch point for a back shoulder throw. And maybe that's part of it. But he did it with Juju a little last year. Um, but that's the only time I feel like in his career, he's even like somewhat consistently. And I can think of like five or six back shoulders or that's it, you know. So I feel like that would be an interesting one, you know, to throw it outside the numbers, give receivers a chance, and maybe it's just about finding the right receiver. Yeah, that's right. I, that that we love the back shoulder throw. That's the only thing that we can do semi reliably in Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, it's interesting that uh, that he's reluctant to do that. But again, yeah, it could be a, just sort of a rapport with the receivers, or or not confident that your receiver is going to outmuscle the defender for for. A pass like that, or if you don't need to, you know, then then why do it, right? <laughs> um, all right, next question. Um, this one's not. I don't know how much this is about the current state of the Steelers or, or the the Chiefs, as opposed to. Well, you can take it how you want, but if you could pick one non-quarterback Chiefs player from the past who you would most want to experience their current success, who would that be? Oh, man. Man, that's tough. 
there have been a lot of Chiefs players that have experienced a lot of heartbreak. <laughs> um, hmm. I, I guess I'll have to decide whether I want this to be like from my head or from my heart. Because I feel like from my head, if it's just like, who's the most talented Chiefs player you ever saw who should experience this? I think I would say Jamal Charles. Like, that's, I think he's the, just the best Chiefs player I've ever seen. Um, Even better than Mahomes? Well, no, no. Okay, right. Yeah, it's just best, be best Chiefs player <laughs> I've seen that has not been on, the, won a championship with the Chiefs. Because I might argue that Kelsey's better than him, too. I don't know. Yes. But, but other, oh, man. I don't know if first like, a feel-good. I mean, I, I guess I would go with Priest Holmes just because Priest Holmes made me so happy. And I feel like he, you know, I just, just he's always going to be, like, my Chiefs guy because of, like, when he rose to prominence and how... I mean, it just, the Chiefs were electric for a little while, but I have so many honorable mentions, which I feel like is probably cheating, but I could definitely like add like someone like Derek Thomas or Tony Gonzalez or Eric Berry. Like that's, uh, that would be a lot. Derek Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I'll go from the, the logic side that Jamal Charles and emotionally, I think I'll go Priest Holmes. Yeah, I get that. It's like you want you want the person, the player that was like who you idolized during your formative years as a fan, right? And that would, I mean, probably Bruce Holmes, right? I mean, yeah, remember those, definitely. Those games, he would just go off. <laughs> um, all right. Um, aside from wide receiver, uh, what do you think the, the Chiefs' biggest need is in the offseason? That's a good question. I think based on the fact that I don't think Chris Jones is going to be back next year, I think it's going to be defensive tackle. Um, our defensive tackle rotation right now is Chris Jones and then, you know, Derek Nottie is a good nose tackle. He's a good rundown defensive tackle. And then there's not, you know, I love Tershawn Wharton. He's coming back from an ACL injury, so there's a chance that maybe he'll look better next year than he did this year. He's definitely looking better now than he did early this year. So, But, you know, we don't have a lot of dudes in the defensive tackle room, so I think that would probably be the next thing we'd have to look at if, besides wide receiver. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, I'm picking up between a couple here. Suppose, suppose the Chiefs... They beat the the Ravens this week. Suppose, uh, oh, who would you rather they play in the Super Bowl, Lions or Niners? Ooh. Hmm. Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I guess I would just from a pure like, without the whole emotion about the Lions being like the. They will immediately become America's team if they make the Super Bowl. I would pick the Lions just because they beat us this year, and I'd like to beat them back. And, yeah, I think that would be the... And the Niners would also be very motivated because we beat them in a Super Bowl not that long ago, and a lot of those guys are still there. So maybe the Lions, but... 
adding the fact that I, I mean, we're already considered the villains. Like, there's so many people that, you know, they always do this, like, always the NFL rigged to win, have Mahomes win Super Bowls. And I'm always like, well, why didn't they rig it better in 2021 and 2020 then? Like, <laughs> if we're going to do this, let's do this. You know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, the discourse would get real tough if it was Chiefs-Lions. Like, it would just be everyone rooting for them. So, I don't know. I guess from a football standpoint, I'd say the Lions because I just I want the revenge. But maybe I would be more sane if it was the 49ers. It would also be a nice way to, like, cap the season, right? It started with this Chiefs win at Arrowhead. And, and you know, some people were saying, oh, like, Chiefs are done or whatever. But no, to win against the Lions in the Super Bowl would be a nice... And I feel like that would be a more compelling. I mean, sure, yeah, you're right. The recent Niners Chiefs Super Bowl is there, but I would be more interested in seeing Chiefs and, and Lions as well. Cool. Well, well, let me actually, before we go on, let's take a quick break. Um, yeah. And we're back. All right, so where were we in the state of the Chiefs? Um, let's see. I think I had asked most of my questions. Uh, I mean, there's just one here that uh, uh, could go different ways, but how confident... So it looks like, you know, the sort of story this year is that the defense has, has really uh, kicked the Super, Super Bowl window open longer. Uh, how much how, how how confident are you in relying on the defense for for like how long do you think the defense could be super bowl caliber like this as opposed to just relying on the offense which has been i think probably what's carried you so far in the, the last two super bowl wins i think the defense can be really good i would say for at least another two years um i think a lot's gonna hinge on whether we pay legerious sneed He's up this year. I feel like we will, although, because there's been a little shift in philosophy. Before last year, Brett Veach had did, given zero resources to cornerbacks. Like, Legereus Sneed himself was a fourth-round pick. Uh, we had been kind of picking up guys off the strap, scrap heap. We had Charvarius Ward, who was an undrafted free agent, and then we let him walk in free agency. He got a big deal from the Niners. So, like, we weren't doing anything with corners. And then we draft Trent McDuffie in the first round. And that same year, we, again, more typical of Brett Veach, we got Joshua Williams in the fourth and Jalen Watson in the seventh, and they all three ended up being good, although Trent McDuffie is far and away the best. But now, you know, we have all of them for another two years after this, and Trent McDuffie for a third on his fifth-year option. And with the secondary the way it is... Um, I know Justin Reed is only has one more year on his deal, but I, I'm just, I just feel like we're going to pay Snead, and I feel like we're going to pay Nick Bolt. And so while they remain young, I think we're still going to have uh, a good shot. Now, the one caveat is that I think we all underrate how much Chris Jones contributes to what the defense is. And when you don't have a monster that you have to double team all the time in the interior of your defensive line, that could make things look really different. I don't know. But I'm hoping for at least a couple more years of like really, really high caliber defensive play. Yeah. Yeah. I think some Steelers fans are hoping 
myself included, that Snead walks and we can sign him ourselves. <laughs> we have some cornerback needs, and watching him play is really exciting. I mean, he's, he's impressive. Um, he definitely is a Steeler mentality guy. <laughs> he just mm-hmm. beats the crap out of receivers on the line of scrimmage. <laughs> that's what, that's, yeah, that's the thing that stands out really, really uh, the most when you watch him. And his, his defending wide receiver screens is also like just a joy to watch. <laughs> um, he's fun. Um, that's all I have for you, I think, on the current state of the of the Chiefs. Um, all right. Yeah. So let's switch over then to the state of the Steelers. Uh, so first question, it's a general generic question, but I feel like it's got to be asked. Season ended. What's your overall impression of the season? Is going 10-7 and seven with this group a success in the whole context of where the Steelers are? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, uh, before the season, if you told me it would go this way, uh, before the preseason, if you told me it would go this way, I would have said fine. Like, I would not be upset about that. Uh, uh, not thrilled. Um, and then after the preseason, I mean, I tried, like, no, you'd think I would know by now not to get excited by preseason games, but we had like such like the most optimism-inducing preseason I can imagine. Everyone that you wanted to make a play or that you thought like, oh, they need to develop in this way, they did it basically, uh, in like very limited preseason action. So it was hard to hard to not get excited. Uh, and at that point, I would have thought, no, we can like, I, w- I would certainly be disappointed with ten and seven. So I don't know. I mean, I would have. You know, obviously you want Kenny Pickett to take another step and hard to argue that he did that. Maybe a step backwards, but... uh, So, yeah, I mean, I think this is probably a disappointment overall, but, uh, you know, I enjoyed the season. From that perspective, it was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's weird because I feel like there's been so much talk of Tomlin, Tomlin teams kind of middling... And it almost feels like the like NBA discourse has come into this a little because you know in the NBA there because you really need a top draft pick to get a superstar. It's like going five hundred is seen as this terrible thing, but I feel like I would argue that's not really the case in football. Like unless you're you know really saying that you're not going to get a good quarterback, but although although you know most of the good quarterbacks come in the first round, they seem quite dispersed around the first round. You know, Mahomes himself was a tenth. The 10th overall pick, Lamar Jackson, was the last pick of the first round. So, I don't know. I just feel like if you can win games in football in the NFL, you're doing something right. And I've rooted for enough teams that couldn't win more than, like, two or three games. So, you know, if you can win 10, I feel like that's okay. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's right. It's hard to complain about a 10-win playoff season, right? I mean, that shows... It's just that I think a lot of Steelers... I mean, I don't know. A lot of Steelers fans are thinking, like, we've we've been doing this. This is, like, what we've had... For a while now and then you get blown out in the playoffs and that's getting old and like yeah yeah i could see the point but it's still 10 wins it's not bad and then to kind of dovetail the second question is kind of related to the first one coming to tomlin uh what is now you know we had tomlin came in on the heels of cower won a Super Bowl real soon, had some really good teams, I guess one would argue, like, you know, 
really uh, through 2016, there was at least intermittent playoff success. I think that one thing that stands out is that one Tebow loss in the playoffs. But <laughs> otherwise, like a lot of success. But in, I wrote down in the last five playoff losses, you've allowed 31, 42, 48, 45, and 36 points. Although I will say that the 36 points came in an AFC title game in the year that the two previous playoff games you gave up 16 and 12 points. So I feel like that 36 like doesn't count as much because you, I mean, the 16 was to us. You only gave up 16 points to us and won. <laughs> so <laughs> what do you think of like overall Tomlin's tenure? Do you kind of, are you frustrated by the playoff performances? Do you apportion any of that blame to Tomlin? I am probably a big Tomlin, I don't know if apologist is the right word, or fan or whatever, but I mean, I'm at the point where, like, Tomlin, you know, you watch a press conference. I I got almost more excited about watching his end-of-year press conference this year than I do about, like, an average in-season game. He's just, like, that compelling of a person to me. Uh, And I don't agree with all of his coaching decisions many times like every time he challenges i'm like basically think it's the wrong decision uh and then he doesn't challenge when i think he should but it, and I, and you know it was seemingly obviously a mistake to everyone but maybe him to keep matt, matt canada this season uh so i don't agree with everything but he's just i don't know he's just such a compelling character i, I like you know he's very yeah. You listen to him speak, and you're like, yeah, yep. You know, why would I, why would I have ever thought otherwise? <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I mean, part of me is almost like if I get as much enjoyment about out of watching him as I do, uh, whether it's in a game or in a press conference or whatever, then then like, great. Like I, I don't need to judge him solely based on you know playoff success, which I don't think judging him on on you know. I mean, you watch some of those playoff games, and, and like against the Browns, we gave up 48 at that time. And the first play of the game, Pouncey snaps it over Ben's head, and it goes into the end zone, and the Browns recover for a touchdown. So, like, you know, is that on Tomlin? No. <laughs> uh, a lot of this is it's hard to pin on him, uh, and I think if I were him, I'd be, I'd be frustrated by when this keeps happening, and it's not like, a, you know, yeah, it's it's strange because we've had some pretty good solid defenses over those years, and then you know you give up forty forty five to Blake Bortles. Uh, tough, it's tough, but um, yeah, this is a sort of long winded answer that it's meandering. But I will defend Tomlin for as long as he wants to stay, which I'm less clear that he wants to stay after this year. He definitely said, you know, he'll be back next year, but I'm a little less clear on his long-term future um, uh, than I than I have been before. Um, part of that year-end press conference was, uh, you know, they asked him about it, and he said he's not really big picture. You know, he wasn't really committal about, um, uh, you know, where he wants to be in the long term, which before he has been. Before people have tried to link him to other jobs, and he's he said things like, you know, never say never, but never. Um, and, uh, you know, 
he's he's going into the last year of his contract, so so this could be all a negotiating kind of thing. Uh, I I sort of expect that if and when they give him a new contract, you'll hear a different um, sort of tone in in that press conference. But um, uh, yeah, I I I will stick it out with him <laughs> until until the bitter end. Yeah, and that kind of it. What he's going through, his latest run, like it reminds me a lot of Andy Reid in Philadelphia. Like that guy, <clears throat> that kind of. On one hand, I think that when we view in-game decision making, because Andy Reid also, especially back then, still now, but not as much as back when he was in Philadelphia, would get a lot of flack for in-game decision making, like challenges going forward on fourth down, timeout usage, things like that, and. I feel like we it, those are the easy things to see as a fan as far as like what a coach contributes in those areas but the kind of season long behind the scenes preparation side of it is so much harder to see and these two coaches are clearly very very good at that uh and then you know when the playoff success comes around i feel like you know Obviously, there seems to be a little bit of a difference as far as being able to succeed in the regular season versus the playoffs, but I don't think it's as big of a difference as people try to make it out to be. Like, usually people that are able to prepare teams to win, prepare them to win. So, yeah, yeah. I tend to... It makes sense to me. Um, I guess, again, this is somewhat related. You know, you brought up Canada and the Steelers' offense... Well, with hindsight of the entire season, I want you to give me actual percentages how you would apportion the 100% of blame for the Steelers' offense. Which individuals are you picking and how much percentage are you giving each individual? Uh, that's interesting. Um, oh, like, just to be, like, first thing to say is I really want a Matt Canada to succeed. Like, like you know... So many, so many Steelers fans were just done with him, even like middle of the year last year, right? And just wanted to fire him. And then the Fire Canada chance became a thing this year. And it's like just, you know, you, it's just a guy, right? He's doing his best, or whatever. I mean, sure. And like they had the, like, they would always have the camera on him in the press boxes. And, and then a couple of times, like we would score a touchdown toward the end of the game and take the lead or something. You could see, like, I don't know. It's just a, Maybe this is maybe this is like a deficiency in me, but like I get really compelled trying to like read someone's expressions either like in a press conference or and that offensive coordinator camera that they would keep showing. And I was just like, you know, sometimes he would like have like a, a burst of passion, like scream, let's go or something like that. And sometimes it would just be completely stoic when we score a touchdown. Um, but whatever it was, like I, I just wanted that guy to like, yeah, shut people up didn't happen uh and like honestly probably i put most of the blame on him uh you know you listen to you know what he what he would say and, and you know he never talked about really like doing things differently even even like going into this year people asked him you know have you made any changes and no we're basically just doing the same thing like you would have thought like at some point it's it's not the players right like if 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 it's not working and it's still not working you gotta change something up right um so uh 
you, you could argue that this was Tomlin's fault for sticking with him longer than, than he should have. And Steelers have like this long history of letting, you know, coordinators run the course of their contracts before and then usually just letting them expire. Um, so it was a big difference this year to fire Canada midseason. Um, but I wasn't too surprised that they kept him on um, in the offseason. And that, it's hard to know. It's hard to know how to how to evaluate that decision when there's, you know, you know, it can do other things for organizational stability. If you know, you can tell someone coming in, you're not, you know, you're not going to be on a really short leash. Look, we kept, we kept Canada for way longer than we should have. <laughs> uh, so you know, I don't, uh, I don't know how much was going on behind the scenes there. Uh, but I think when your offense is as bad as ours was for that long, and uh, you're explicitly saying that you're not changing things, I think. You know, that's that's clear where the problem is, right? Um, yeah. So I would say mostly on Canada, even though it hurt, it hurts me to say that because you know it looks like a nice guy and it would have been fun to see him redeem himself. What percentage will you give him out of a hundred? Yeah, gosh. Um, I'd say eighty. All right. So then, who gets the other twenty? <laughs> Yeah, the other 20 is interesting. So, you know, it's interesting that as soon, like the game after we fired him, I mean, there's probably other ways to explain this too, but we go for 400 yards for the first time in like 50, I can't remember what it was, 56, 57 games, something like that. Um, oh my God, that's a lot <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's interesting too, because I went back and watched the highlights of that game, and it wasn't like we were, you know, blowing the doors off, but at the time it just felt so good. It was like, wow, look at us moving. Uh, uh, and... So the, I don't know. I mean, I think I I got more optimism from that one game than I should have. Um, but um, probably Tomlin gets a a good share of the blame there. I don't know. Uh, again, this is the this is the part where it's hard to know like what goes on behind the scenes when you know organizational decision making of this caliber or of this nature but i think maybe tomlin gets 15% and then you could put maybe that's too much maybe 10% for tomlin and 10% for the players i don't know this is you know this is, this is tough <laughs> uh, i'll say that all right um what then... can i ask you like what does it look like to an outside like an outside perspective do you do you have opinions about where the who is at fault here I I feel like from an outside perspective I would have said like uh maybe like 60% Canada 5 maybe 10% Tomlin and then the other 30 to 35% goes to quarterback play specifically like mm. Pickett Trubisky and yeah. I guess we'll put Rudolph in there too, even though he brought it up a little bit. But I feel like yeah. I just don't. I feel like it's got to be so hard to design a good offense when. I mean, I I just feel like Pickett should be able to do more than that, but I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's unclear. And and now our sample size for Pickett without Canada is like a game and a quarter, basically. And it was a nice game, but. Again, it probably felt nicer than it was because it was the first time we eclipsed 400 yards in more than two seasons, three seasons. 
Well, and the Rudolph part throws a wrench in it because, like, you know, Pickett goes out and Trubisky looks terrible. And so you're like, okay. And then Rudolph looks good <laughs> and you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Trubisky, I, I don't know what to say about him. I, that, uh, you, just, you just watch him play and you're like, he, he, he doesn't care. It doesn't look like he cares. Right? I mean, just stands there pretty casually and his feet are like, you know, all over the place. He's, you know, doesn't care about his footwork, doesn't care about his throwing motion, doesn't really, like, maybe he cares at some level, but it doesn't look like he cares. Um, it's not surprising. Like the, Jay, well. the Jay Cutler of the Steelers. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's go to the next question. Uh, this is an ambitious one. I'm glad you didn't ask me this question by the Chiefs. Uh, <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I decided on three. What are your top three areas on the team that need to be addressed, and what do you think are reasonable ways to address them? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, quarterback needs to be addressed. Um, I'll leave that one aside for a second because that's just a can of worms that maybe I'll get to. <laughs> uh, we're going to need cornerback help, whether it whether it's in the draft, I would like to. I would like. I would like Sneed. <laughs> you know, if you want to just let him go, that'd be fine. Um, uh, yeah, I think we need cornerback help. I mean, we've we've got Joey Porter Jr., who looks like he's going to be good. He was very good. I mean, he had a good season, not just by rookie standards this year, but by the sort of regular standards. Uh, so I'm excited about him, but Patrick Peterson's old and slow and missed a ton of tackles this year um, and missed Josh Allen when Josh Allen wasn't moving, um, I think, in, in that game two weeks ago. Um, yeah, we, we need some cornerback help. And, and typically we don't draft cornerbacks well. I think we got two good cornerbacks in the draft this year, um, uh, the other one being Corey Trice, who I think tore his ACL or something like that in training oh, camp. Yeah. Or, I remember uh, people talked about early. him a lot. Yeah, people were excited about him, and because they were excited, I was excited. Uh, it's not like I know much about him myself, but um, depending on how that rehab goes, like he could be good, but you know he's not going to have any playing experience for the last year, so that that also hurts. Um, yeah, so I think we will need a. Well, probably we should sign a quarterback in free agency or something, or cornerback in free agency. Um, probably defensive line I would put up there. Uh, uh, Cam Hayward's getting pretty old. Um, he, I think he'll be back, uh, but in the last couple of years he said at the end of the year things that make me think that he's not sure he can come back physically, essentially. Um, I think he'll be back, but but he's getting old and he's not as dominant as he was at one point. So uh, we need some help there. Um, that could be in the draft, I guess. We typically, I feel like, draft. We're not terrible at drafting defensive linemen. Um, and then we need quarter cornerback, quarterback. Uh, what? I don't. I don't know what how to address cornerback quarterback um I feel like Pickett I think Pickett still is like the plan at this point it seems like that uh Rudolph's a free agent um you know he said that he wants to be here but of course you'll say that kind of thing to try to leverage offers or whatever I don't know but um uh 
I don't know where to go. I mean, I feel like I feel like you have a competition right now between if you can bring him back, Rudolph and Pickett, um, uh, and Rudolph has certainly shown more in in the last four games. Like he was, he was pretty good. Um, you know, he made it really like one very bad throw against the Bills. I thought the one that was intercepted in the end zone, and then the rest of it, he was fine. Right. Um, uh, but this is weird because, like, I don't have a good—I don't have a good answer. I don't know what to do. Like, we're not at the position where we're going to be drafting um, a a you know high-rated quarterback in the first round. I think we're picking twentieth or something like that. Um, we could trade up, but we'd have to trade a lot to get in a position to draft. And I don't even know who I would want to draft. Um, I don't really. I'm not enthusiastic about like signing Russell Wilson or Justin Fields or names that get like people have have suggested we should think about. Uh, hard to get excited about them. Um, so I don't know. There's not a ton of things to be excited about. <laughs> we we need something, and it's not clear what we're gonna get. Um, I do think like there's a shred of hope at this point that Pickett, without Canada. Um, can be what we like, you know, after the first season there, it seemed like there was promise there. He's accurate. He goes through his reads. Um, it seems like he knows what he's doing when he goes through his reads. And then, and then both of those sort of became way more erratic. Both of those like good features became way more erratic this year. Um, and so I just don't know what to make of that. I do think he tried to change his throwing motion, uh, and ostensibly like it looks better now, but but then the passes became more inaccurate. Um, you know, he's got a quicker release, but I think that's probably not his natural release, and so he doesn't—he's not as accustomed to to throwing that way. And maybe that's why they were inaccurate. I don't know. I'm trying to read into it a lot, but I guess I have a little bit of hope. Pickett could still pan out, but it's hard to be really optimistic after what we've seen. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a—it's a tough place to be, I, although. The, the quarterback evals in the draft, it feels like, are... As long as someone's, like, considered a first-round prospect, I feel like there's some hope whether they end up being later in the first round or earlier. You wonder if somebody falls, maybe you can trade up. Because it seems like trading up from... Because I think the Chiefs, when we drafted Mahomes, if I remember correctly, we traded from, like, 27 or so to 10. Um, so... It seems like yeah. that. It, it seems like trading up into like the top five is like essentially impossible. <laughs> you have to give up like everything. But yeah, I don't know. Although the, it seems like the quarterbacks are getting a lot of hype. At least the top three: Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniel. I don't mm. watch enough college football to have any strong opinions about any of them, but people seem to be saying they're they may go one, two, three now. So. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about college football either, except that Caleb Williams' stock obviously dropped after this last year. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how excited to be about any of them, or, you know, would they be more exciting? I mean, the other thing is, here I am again, but, like, Pickett seems like a likable guy, right? Like, he seems like he works hard, and it'd be fun to see him succeed, and that's just what I said about Canada, and that didn't work out. So, <laughs> so maybe that's... You know, maybe that's that's a weak weak spot of my evaluation. But or maybe if you stick with it, it'll work with someone. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, yeah.
Um, all right, so let's end the state of the Steelers on a positive note. Uh, what aspect of the team excites you the most going forward? Hmm. I mean, I think Joey Porter Jr. I mentioned already, but he he was awesome this year. Uh, and we never hit on cornerbacks. <laughs> like, like the last time we drafted a cornerback that went well was like maybe Ike Taylor or something. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's too harsh, uh, but it doesn't feel like we hit on them very often. Um, so to, for him to to be as good as he was this year is very exciting. I feel like he he. You know, he went one-on-one -on -one with a lot of top receivers and held his own really well. Um, so he's exciting to me. I feel like he could be one of the top cornerbacks in the league um, in a year or two. All right. Um, so maybe we can touch on, maybe each of us can do like one NFL topic for the other one, and then we can, I don't know if you prepared an anecdote, but I feel like it would be nice if we end with like a personal anecdote each um, I know we're kind of running a bit on time, so we can do one. Let me try to pick what my interesting NFL thing to ask you would be about. Um, okay, so because this is the one thing I did the most research on, I'll ask you this. Um, so what do you think about the theory? So I, I feel like I have held this theory. The first time I remember thinking about it was in two, the 2004 in the Colts in the wild card round. They beat the Broncos 49-24. Looked amazing. Peyton Manning was throwing it all around. I believe that was a game where like Marvin Harrison caught a pass diving, then just like got up and ran for a touchdown because none of the Broncos touched him. And then they lost the next round to the Patriots 20-3 in the divisional round. Then the other time I really thought about this was in 2021. The Bills just looked awesome, and they demolished the Patriots. They were just, I think they scored out touchdowns on their first five, six drives, something like that. Uh, they killed the Patriots, and then they lost the 13-second game the next week against the Chiefs. Uh, so I, it just felt like teams that blow out their opponents in the playoffs seem to lose fairly soon after. And I was thinking that before last week when the Ravens just dominated the Browns, or not the Ravens, the Texans dominated the Browns, and the Packers dominated the Cowboys, and lo and behold, they both ended up losing this week. Um, so what do you think about that theory as far as like teams that blow out opponents in the playoffs seeming to lose soon afterward? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, it would be nice if it, if it holds... For you this week, right? The Ravens just blowing out the Texans, and uh, if they lost this week, it would be great for the Chiefs. Uh, yeah, I mean, why is that? Why does that seem to happen? I mean, totally speculating here, but I wonder if you know. Well, and if if we if you, we are kind of accepting it, I did a little. Re I decided to go look up the ten biggest blowouts in NFL playoff history. Um, so, and it's actually kind of compelling. So the biggest blowout was 1999. The Jags beat Miami in the divisional round 62 to seven, and they <laughs> lost the next game, the AFC championship to Tennessee 33 to 14. Then in 1999, 
The Bills won the AFC title game 51-3, to and the next game was a Super Bowl loss because the Bills never won the Super Bowl. That was wide right, Scott Norwood. They lost 20-19. to Then uh, the... So 1986, the next biggest blowout doesn't follow the trend. The Giants won in the divisional round 49-3 against the 49ers. They actually ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. They beat the, the Broncos 39-20. to and interestingly, NFL Films credits that game as the first time a coach was doused with Gatorade after a football. <laughs> uh, apparently, Bill Parcells is the first guy. Mike Ditka claims that he was doused with Gatorade the week before, but NFL Films has argued they have no evidence that this happened. <laughs> so, or not the week before, the year before, the 85 Bears, but... <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> the next biggest blowout was the Niners 55-10 over the Broncos in the Super Bowl, so we never got to see another matchup after that. Then in 1983, the Redskins won 51-7 in the divisional round over the Rams. They did win the next game, the NFC title game over the Niners, but then they lost in the Super Bowl. Then we've got 2000. Giants win the NFC championship game 41-0 against the Vikings, then they lost the Super Bowl to the Ravens the next round 34-7. 2002, the Jets beat the Colts 41-0 in the wild card, lost the next round of the divisional round to the Raiders. 93, the Niners beat the Giants 44-3. They lost the NFC title game to Dallas 38-21. 81, the Cowboys beat the Buccaneers 38-0 in the divisional round. They lost to San Francisco in the NFC title game the next round. And then another one that doesn't follow the trend, 2014 Patriots, they beat the Colts 45-7, to and then they famously won the Super Bowl the next round in the Malcolm Butler interception game. So that's nine examples of playoff blowouts. The tenth one I'm ignoring because that was in the Super Bowl. So nine examples of playoff blowouts. In seven of them, is that right? In seven of them, the uh, team lost the next round. So... It seems to be like fairly consistent. Yeah, I wonder uh, if there's a. If what it's just it's strange to me to think about this being different in the playoffs than the regular season. Like if it were in the regular season, I wonder like if we looked at the the biggest blowouts in the regular season history, how did the next week go for them as well? well maybe I'll do that um, for our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder because it, it it just feels odd that there would be something unique to the playoffs here, but maybe it encourages a kind of like not taking it seriously enough and in the playoffs you really gotta take it really seriously um else you aren't gonna get you know you're gonna lose uh so i don't know that's that's just like the simple kind of explanation i have no idea really how to explain that yeah i don't, I don't either and and the way that i had framed it before looking this up is like when they kind of dominate a team so i was not actually considering the ravens Texans game to be that way because it was tied at half. Oh yeah. I like it. it I don't know the, the, the I haven't looked at how the, all these individual game goes, but the the feeling that I had was it's more like when someone just comprehensively beats the brakes off of a team. For example, like the Chiefs beat the Texans fifty one thirty one in the divisional round, but we were down twenty four nothing at the beginning, <laughs> so it didn't feel like a comprehensive domination, you know. Um. Anyway, that was my. NFL topic this week to discuss. Okay, yeah. Um, let's see, which one should I pick here? I got... Um, I 
you might have to edit this <laughs> as I as I read through these. Um, all right, okay. Here's the what do we make of Bill Belichick nowadays? Uh, I mean, for a long time, right? It was just like this sort of I don't know about football god, but just this sort of you know genius figure. Uh, and now, and now you know like oh by the Patriots or whatever that was by the Patriots and um, maybe he's going to coach Atlanta it looks like uh, just as a coach like how do you evaluate a coach like that's gone through something like that uh, I guess that's it I mean I speculated a bit about about how to how to do this but I'm curious if you have any thoughts about about you know does this change your your perception of him and, and if so is it is it just that he has evolved or devolved as a coach or is it the league has moved past him or, or what? I think I actually, I don't, I don't know that it's changed my perception of him that much. Um, I think it would have in hindsight, I don't know that I thought this way when Brady left, but it would have actually been shocking if he had like continued that level of success without Brady. I think we underrate how much you need a good quarterback to be able to succeed. I, I do think it has changed my opinion of Belichick, the GM, a little bit. Like, I thought he was a better team builder than he is. And maybe, you know, we, sh- we kind of knew this, right? Like, he couldn't draft a receiver forever, and he was drafting people like Sony Michelle in the first round. And I don't even remember the uh, Lawrence Maroney, and the, I think he was a first rounder, too. Like, so, like, we've seen this, but he's always been able to paper over it. Like, maybe Belichick, the GM, has always not been that great. And, uh, you know, when you have a guy that is a really good quarterback that falls in line, I think that makes it a lot easier to get everything together. The other thing I'll say is, because I felt this way, seeing the Belichick way happen in Kansas City very poorly, like, it's one of those things where I, I, one thing I really strongly believe, I think I first heard it in the Jalen and Jacoby podcast. Dave Jacoby always says, like, something to the extent of, like, you're allowed to be mean if you're funny. Well, I think I've kind of taken it to, like, if you're going to be mean, you better be right. And it's like, you can be as much of a whatever if while you're winning, but, like, if you're gonna do that, you gotta be right. And when you make mistakes, like when you have Brady and you do stuff, you got a guy in your corner that kind of allows you to be mean and you've won all these Super Bowls. But when you don't and you're not you're not right, like people are gonna fall off pretty quickly. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. That's uh, um, and it's interesting, like the, just the way it changes your perspective on the person, right? Like the at least for me. Right. Like when he had Brady, it just gave him this kind of aura of like, like, you know, I remember certain times like in game decision making. It's just like he seems like he's always making a really smart decision. And I wonder how much of that was just because they kept winning right? because of because they were successful. Uh, and yet at the same time, it's like that's that is part like that is a big part of how we evaluate or how we think about people, right? So, so even if there are sort of external factors, you might you might still say they were part of his personality or part of his, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what to say here, but still might attribute 
intelligence or genius to him in those years because they were winning, right? Uh, And they were often winning in such a dominant fashion. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, before we do our final anecdotes, let's take one more break. All right. We are back. Um, And for the final segment of our podcast, every week we are going to... Each of us just tell a little bit of a personal anecdote, something fun that uh, hopefully will let you guys know us better. Um, So I will start. Uh, This is a story that I think, uh, Chris, you will recall immediately. Um, So Chris and I went to high school together, and um, in high school we had a somewhat entertaining junior AP language teacher who, uh, uh, you know, she had a way about her. And uh, we used to sit next to each other in class. And there was a day when, for whatever reason, she was just really into being, like, telling us how to be descriptive. And she was using Ben Franklin as her example of someone who is just a really descriptive person. (laughs) And she took this uh, she was you know ben franklin and he had just had a way with words and he knew you know he would how would ben franklin describe this room and she had a little like tree stump on her desk and she was like if ben franklin saw this tree stump he would have examined it he would have analyzed it he would have counted it and uh, as she kept going on chris turned to me in class and he was like he would have counted it and he was like one <laughs> and I still cannot tell that story with a straight face. I think she noticed how hard we were laughing in class. He like, would have counted, yeah. and she's like one. <laughs> and, oh my god! I and, was uh, that was good. I don't think I could recreate that. Uh, that was just like clearly like willful misinterpretation of what she was saying, right? But. Uh, <laughs> But it just went right along with, because, you know, the the kind of nature of things she would say, like, you would almost have to believe that that's what she meant, you know, like, oh, man, well, that, uh, it's it's really funny, because I, I, I feel like every time I tell this story, I can't tell it properly because I'm laughing and people can't understand why I think it's so funny. And that's probably what's going to happen on this venue too. But it's just such an entertaining story for me. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, maybe it's one of those things where it's just actually not funny, but it was so funny to us or something at the time. But I, I agree. I can't think about that without, without smiling again. <laughs> um, oh, dang. I should have picked a story that was like more about from our history. I picked one that's, I think it's humorous for the the uh, the it's a local minimum in my life uh, in the last maybe five years or so, um, but uh, so so my partner and I live long distance. She lives in Salem, Massachusetts, and I live in in Gainesville, Florida, uh, for most of the year, uh, and. Uh, we have two dogs, two very small Yorkie poos, uh, Maple and Mocha who um, are wonderful and and sometimes we they sometimes they spend a semester with me sometimes with Kayla or sometimes we have one each um, and so this was a time I was driving back to Florida and I think it was maybe like after a holiday break or something like that for the next semester 
um, uh, long drive. It's like, you know, if you did it straight through, it's probably like 19 hours or something. But uh, so I was driving by myself in a rental car and I had both of the dogs with me and uh, they had their bed in the back seat. And uh, normally, like I get stressed about them in the back seat. Like, Is everything OK back there? And usually it's perfectly fine. Um, so I'm driving and it starts to rain and it's nighttime and it's like pouring really. And I'm on 95 South and uh, suddenly Mocha starts like like yelping and, and pawing at the door. And I'm like, well, what's, what's possibly going on here? And I look back and I can't tell. She's just pawing at the door nervously. And then uh, Maple starts yelping too. And I'm thinking, well, this is bad. So I look back and Mocha has diarrhea all over the little bed she's sitting in and so now i'm on 95 it's dark it's raining i'm trying to figure out like okay where did it get like is it on maple should i and so i bring maple into the front seat and then i'm trying to figure out is it on mocha do i want her to stay in her bed do i want her to be on the seat which is a rental car seat by the way right i'm trying to figure this out as i'm driving in the rain in the dark uh i end up like pulling off at some gas station and then i i had a roll of um like wet wet wipes or whatever and so i'm just using these to clean up this disgusting mess and then throw them into like some you know the gas station trash can or whatever but um that was and then of course i i had another like seven hours the next day or something so i have this bed that smells like well didn't smell good uh and it turned out better than it could have right mocha didn't like have it all over her or anything like that but it was that was I was like on the highway at that point thinking like, could this have gotten worse? Like, of course it could have, but it was, it was not fun. That's probably the last thing you anticipate happening when you're driving. How long is that drive fully? Like 15 hours? No, oh, if you do it, it's like 18 and a half if, with, without breaks. Um, we've, we've done it like straight through before, but usually like with two people. And uh, I can't do that with with one person it's not safe. Oh, yeah i guess up to massive yeah because i feel like i've done new jersey to like orlando and i wanted to say that was like 15 and a half 16 so it must be another couple hours up to massachusetts yeah it was it's a long drive um <laughs> i don't like doing it it's not a fun time also like just the fact that i'm like driving back for the semester like start of the semester it's like always kind of depressing because we're like splitting up again and uh, like add that on top of oh now there's diarrhea in the back seat and it's raining and i can't figure out like, <laughs> and uh, it's a rental car that is that's like you said important detail yeah <laughs> oh my god anyway so well there i got at least a story out of it that, that that's one that's positive true. and the three people that might eventually listen to this got a story out of it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. um well on that note, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we'll try to put these out once a week and hopefully gain a little bit of some value for you all about us and football and the Chiefs and Steelers and how a psychiatrist and philosopher try to process everything that goes on in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Hopefully we can be a little bit of a non-standard perspective maybe on, on some of these things. I don't know what else we could do. All right. Well, until next time. <laughs>